Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. And I hope you'll visit the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date reading Life in Naples. To find out more, visit lifeinnaples.net. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Mark Schulman. He's the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. We'll be talking about current global events. We'll also visit with Larry Reed. He is the professor, I should say, uh, president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. And uh, Jim McTagg will be joining us, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of a couple of uh, murder mystery thrillers, just terrific books, uh, Follow the Leader and its sequel, Shake the Money Tree. It is November the 23rd, and on this day in 1876, William Meager Boss Tweed, leader of the New York City's corrupt Tammany Hall political organization during the 1860s and 70s, was delivered to authorities in New York City after his capture in Spain. Tweed became a powerful figure in Tammany Hall, New York City's democratic political machine, in the late 1850s. By the mid-60s, he had risen to the top position in the organization and formed the Tweed Ring, which openly bought votes, encouraged judicial corruption, extracted millions from city contracts, and dominated New York City's politics. Uh, the Tweed Ring reached its peak of fraudulence in 1871 with the remodeling of the city's courthouse, a blatant embezzlement of city funds that was exposed by the New York Times. Tweed in his re- uh, flunkies hoped the criticism would blow over, but thanks to the efforts of opponents such as Harper's Weekly, political cartoonist Thomas Nast, who conducted a crusade against Tweed, virtually every Tammany Hall member was swept from power in the elections of 1871. All the Tweed ring was subsequently tried and sentenced to prison. Boss Tweed serves time for forgery and larceny and other charges, but in 1875 escaped from prison and traveled to Cuba and Spain. In 1876, he was arrested by Spanish police, who reportedly recognized him from his famous Nash cartoon depiction. After Tweed's extradition in the United States, he was returned to prison, where he died in 1878. A little word of Thomas Nast. I mean, he did a great job with his cartoons and certainly did a great job of exposing. I mean, he was a true, true reporter in the sense that he used his art to uh, tell a story uh, and create, create commentary that was really important in the United States. Well, 171 uh, new cases of COVID-19 and four additional deaths in Cuyahoga County on Friday, and there were 65 patients in Cuyahoga County hospitals. Sunday, there were 115 new cases of COVID-19 in Cuyahoga County and three additional deaths. So uh, the numbers are spiking a little bit in Cuyahoga County, but certainly the healthcare system is not overrun. In fact, I would suggest that uh, they'd like to probably fill a few more of those beds there at NCH because uh, the I'm, I'm guessing a lot of people are not taking care of uh, their hospital needs because of the fear of COVID-19. Now, this is from the mainstream media. I found this today. The virus is raging across the country, passing 12 million known infections over the weekend. More than 255,000 people have died. And every state but Hawaii is seeing a surge in cases. Hospitalizations in New York are at their highest level since June. In El Paso, Texas, the morgues are so overwhelmed that Texas National Guard and inmates have been called to help. Health experts are warning that weeks ahead could get worse. 
So uh, what do you take from that? Well, I take, you know, feeding the flames of fear, the pandemic of fear. Um, you know, there's a lot of counter information to that. In fact, top advisor to Trump's administration's Operation Warp Speed said a coronavirus vaccine could be shipped to the states by the middle of December. I think December 11th was the date he stated. And the U.S. could reach herd immunity by May. He also predicted life could start returning to normal by mid-2021, noting that uh, 70% or so of the population being immunized would allow for true herd immunity to to take place. Certainly a different story, isn't it? And there's a lot of conflicting information out there. I tend to side with the fact that the fear has taken over, and unfortunately some of our leaders are responding to it and using it to control the populace. A study published in late October by researchers at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology linking a decrease in coronavirus hospitalizations to face mask mandate have been withdrawn following an increase in cases in the areas studied. The study added recommendation to wear a surgical mask when outside the home, among others, did not reduce as conventional levels of statistical significance incidence of the infection compared with no mask recommendation. So another study confirms masks don't make a difference, it, or whatever difference it makes is so marginal that it's within, within the uh, statistical uh, error, uh, of, uh, line of error. A newly released study in the Academic Journals of Annals of Internal Medicine casts more doubt on policies that force healthy individuals to wear face masks. Researchers in Denmark reported last Wednesday that surgical masks did not protect the wearers against infection with the coronavirus in large randomized clinical trial, this according to the New York Times, a study is perhaps the best scientific evidence to date on the efficacy of mass or lack thereof. Now, to me, this is here's, here's a natural reaction to what's happening. Uh, the uh, governor of California actually said that he's going to uh, make sure that there's no per- turkey sold over 10 pounds. That way it will prevent, prevent large family gatherings in California. Thousands of people in 16 California cities took to the streets on Saturday to protest Governor Gavin Newsom's curfew order requiring people to stay at home after 10 p.m. Now, apparently he has inside information that coronavirus is really bad after 10 p.m. Well, carrying the Trump-Pence flags and open California banners, the crowds began to gather at 10.01 p.m., including in Huntington Beach and San Clemente, Governor Newsom sweeping edicts by moving 95% of California to purple tier, whatever that means, and a curve I'm assuming that has something to do with uh, the levels, the stage levels of uh, severity in COVID-19. Anyhow, the curfew is an abuse of power. Sidney Lai, who helped organize the protests and was on the ground in San Clemente, told Breitbart News, we are all responsible adults so we can make our own individual choices. Hear, hear. Sydney, I agree with you 100%. This movement is about us rising up for our freedom and against Governor Newsom's overreaching edict. This is tyrannical and a government overreach on behalf of Kevin Newsom and other Democrat governors. The American people, as well as citizens of other countries, need to stand up and f- against this. That, according to Nancy Vu Kerr, uh, who took part in the Huntington Beach protest, Our freedoms are truly at risk, and all we need to do is to look at the history of my mother country, of Vietnam, and other countries of Venezuela, Cuba, Iran, and others. Curfew crashes, protests were planned in San Clemente, Yorba Linda, Huntington Beach, Riverside, 
Temakula. I bet you I'm mispronouncing that, but I've never heard of the city. Anyhow, Brent, Brentwood, Santa Barbara, uh, Santa Cruz, Patterson, Redlands, San Diego, uh, Sacramento, San Diego, La Quinta, Beverly Hills, and Brentwood, according to the organizers. So, uh, again, uh, uh, what was his uh, name now? I've forgotten his name, but the guy who uh, was hired by Trump, he said, look, People ought to protest against these mandates because they don't make any sense. And uh, Scott Atlas is the guy I'm thinking of, Dr. Scott Atlas. So uh, it's good to see. Happy they're doing it in California. We are so fortunate here in uh, Florida to have Governor uh, that we have, DeSantis, Governor DeSantis, making good decisions. Even when the vaccine comes out, he says we're not going to force people to take it. It's not going to be mandatory. He has no mask mandates. He's letting individual communities make. Uh, their own rules, but he's saying, he's actually saying, if you're going to have masks or any other kind of limitation on freedoms, you have to uh, file it with the governor's office, and it has to be approved. Here, here, Governor DeSantis. Well, in the latest sign of economic trouble for Silicon Valley, Bay Area tech entrepreneur Keith Raboy is leaving San Francisco for the state of Florida. I think San Francisco is just so massively and properly run and managed that it's impossible to stay here, he said. He's a startup executive for the likes of PayPal, Square, and Link, LinkedIn. He's moving imminently from the area, finding it impossible to stay after calling home for two decades, per the report. COVID sort of masked this stuff, he said to uh, the Fortune magazine. I'm not quite as obvious where people are moving to, and if they're actually moved since everything, everybody's working remotely. Uh, his Twitter stream is littered with retweets of the exodus and snarky comments rebuking San Francisco. Good for him. I just think, <laughs> just don't, please don't bring your liberal politics with it, though. We, we need to maintain Florida as it is. Oh, we can improve Florida, certainly, but uh, let's not make it like uh, other states like uh, Connecticut, New York, uh, uh, Oregon, California. Let's stay away from that. Sidney Powell is not part of the Trump's uh, legal team anymore, currently trying to overturn the election results in several key swing states. His personal attorney, Rudy, Rudy Giuliani, said in a statement released on Sunday, it kind of shocked me when the statement came in. Why is she not part of the team? And it made no sense to me, but I think I figured it out. Uh, that she says she's never taken any money. She's never billed the president. She's operating on her own. She's basically practicing law on her own, reads the statement. Uh, uh, and this is uh, from Giuliani and Jenna Ellis, the senior legal advisors for the Trump campaign. This is what I've decided. She's going to make her case, uh, and hopefully at the Supreme Court, and uh, I think what she's doing to distance herself from the uh, Trump campaign, which she truly supports and in which she's going to really help in a lot of ways, but I think she has incites... Uh, Getting the uh, cleaning up the entire election process, helping President Donald Trump rightfully win the election. But also, I think when she goes to Georgia and, and uh, brings in a lot, she I think she's going to sweep in in her net of a lot of Republicans as well. So I think that she's wise to distance herself uh, from the campaign. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also, Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date. Read Life in Naples. To find out more, visit lifeinnaples.net. Okay, coming up, Mark Schulman, founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. 
That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days. Days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rocking rock to good time. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And and you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. You can find out more by visiting golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Right now we have with us Mark Schulman. He's an author. He's written several books, mainly on past presidents. He's also the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website. It's called HistoryCentral.com, good for kids of all ages, including you and I. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Mark. So uh, let's open our conversation with a discussion of uh, what's happened with COVID-19. Uh, lots of news saying okay, that so COVID-19 in the, in the world today, Europe has lost mostly control, although in the last week or so, uh, they've started to bend the curve back because of all the closures they've done. The number of cases have started to go down in places like France and Italy and a few others. Places like Switzerland, they're very worried because they've lost total control. And Sweden, the place that everyone talked about, which could reach herd immunity, is now closing down its gyms and closing down in, in not allowing any meetings of more than five people because their numbers have gone through the roof. So the idea of getting herd immunity has proven to be a complete a disaster in Sweden. 
they gave up 5,000 lives early, and now now they're dealing once again with this very serious outbreak. Um, and of course, nothing is as bad as it is in the United States. In the United States, the growth has been almost exponential in the last two or three weeks. And it sounds like no one is listening to the CDC who says, do not travel over Thanksgiving. According to the FAA, they expect 50 million people to be traveling over Thanksgiving, which sounds like a complete disaster in the making. Yeah, it, um, it certainly does. Uh, and what's happening in, in uh, California, you're seeing all kinds of... <laughs> I mean, it's, it's everywhere. There's, there's no question. Look, the, the sad part of this is, this has been a really long, difficult haul for everybody, and everybody yeah. has, um, you know, everyone wants to get on with their lives. But we have true light at the at the end of the tunnel. It's not a locomotive, as the old saying goes. The third company today announced its uh, results of its um, of its vaccine. Not quite as good as the others. It's still seventy percent or ninety, depending on how you look at it. But that's three companies that now have vaccines that are effective against COVID nineteen. Means that Americans by the end of December will start getting vaccinated and it won't be enough and it will go first obviously to first responders and healthcare workers and the very old elderly but within three or four months we could have this in the united states and in most of western europe we could beat this thing yeah so at, at this point it just makes no sense to me everyone should be saying okay it's been tough it's been a hard hard year but let's hunker down for two or three months until we get the vaccine i mean it's one thing if we thought this was going to be going on forever and you know, we can't live our lives this way but when you see that when the vaccine has been proven and it works, and there are now three different companies with work with vaccines that work, which means that billions of these will be produced in the next uh, twelve months. Yeah. Then any other anything else but hunkering down by yourselves as much as you can for the next month, two, three months until you get vaccinated makes no sense. Well, I, you know, I agree with that. I, I, I'm very careful myself. In fact, I've been I've done on a regimen of steroids, so I have, to, I, as I understand from my doctor, I have my immune system is uh, suppressed as a result. So, I, you know, we all need to be careful. I think uh, the thing I object to, and certainly a lot of uh, Californians and others, is uh, somehow, some way, the wisdom of elected officials deciding, making decisions about. And we can all make our own decisions. We don't need. The government to be making well, these I don't decisions. believe in but making your own decisions. I think people don't have to understand something that a public health emergency of this kind, uh, you can make some of your own decisions, but part of it relates to um, what other people do. Yeah. In other words, yes, if you want to stay totally in your own house and get everything delivered and have no contact with the outside world, you can protect yourself and really doesn't make a difference what's going on in the outside world. Yeah. But the reality is, whether it's a nursing home or it's other public places, or if you want to have any to do with the outside world, the disease has to be brought under control. And the only way to bring it under control is to is for people not to do stupid things, for people not to walk into a restaurant or any other place without a mask on. So the mask does not protect you. It protects the other patrons. Uh. It protects the other people. And so that's where everyone gets this whole thing with masks wrong. It's not, it doesn't protect you. It protects the other people. And that's <laughs> why it's really not a personal choice, because... You can personally choose whatever you want, but your personal choice can only be stay in your house, lock all the doors, and get everything delivered by Amazon or wherever you have your delivery service. But if you want to have any connection to the world, you have to go out to, to, some, to a greater or lesser degree. And to do that, you need the rest of the world to participate. And so See, it's part, not part only of, Part of the problem, choice. though, is that, is that uh, not everybody dies as a result of this. Some people get sick. I have a friend who uh, ended up having to go to the doctor, and he got a Z-Pack or something like that. 
So uh, and, and he had a fever. He ended up being very uncomfortable for a couple of days. Uh, so he had a severe case of COVID-19. Uh, <laughs> many people have no symptoms whatsoever. Well, but the reality is, look, it still has a 1.5% mortality rate. That's a very high number. Probably today, 2,000 Americans are going to die of COVID-19. Is everyone going to die? Of course not. Is all of America going to die? Of course not. But yeah. 2,000 people will die a needless death today from COVID-19. Now, again, it's not everybody, and it's only 1.5%, yeah. but that's like 20 times higher than what happens from the flu. So, yes. And not everyone dies, but the question becomes, a lot of people, you know, we still do not know what the long-term effects. Um, my daughter has a close friend. She got it in March. She still can't breathe properly. Huh. And she's a young woman, you know, in her, in her mid-30s. Yeah. You know, that's so, the, the other thing. There's a lot of conflicting information out there. I'm not, you know, you don't know who to trust and who to believe with regard to this. Conflicting stuff coming the CDC and... And other, you know, legitimate organizations with conflict. It's just, uh, it's very difficult to understand what's going on. I, well, I we it. have to say, we, we, we have to go with the CDC more than anything else, because they're the people, you know, who, who we've established as the experts. You can pick your own hospitals and doctors, but that becomes cherry-picking, and you, you often listen to, to who you want to believe in, Yeah, which is always a problem. <laughs> so, so selective interpretation of the data is, is very problematic. Yeah, but, you know, this, but look, uh, we know two things for sure. Uh-huh. We know the number of cases. We know the, the mortality rate. We know that it's dangerous. Yeah. Um, you know, and we know that if you stay in your house and don't, never leave it and you have no connection with anybody, you'll be okay. So but that's the, obviously none of us can really do that. So, I so. mean, uh, Bert, Bert, Burks, was it? Yeah. Uh, the uh, woman who was uh, working well, with the CDC and working with the president. I've forgotten her first name now. It doesn't matter. The point is that she, <laughs> I know, hot Mike. He said to the guy, uh, Redfield, I think his name is, uh, Robert Redfield, he said, she said, can't you guys get anything right? <laughs> so, you know, I think it's, it, it cuts into the credibility of the CDC. They've gotten a lot of stuff wrong. Yeah, they've gotten a lot of wrong. It's a new disease. You know, we don't, um, one of the things, look, this has been the most, the greatest success of science, um, probably in history. The fact they managed to develop a vaccine yeah. in basically less than a year. Never been done. Vaccines have typically taken anywhere from 5 to 15 to 20 years. They've done it in less than a year. Three different companies so far, and there are probably a few more on the way. That's right. It's the greatest success of science. Absolutely. And yet we need to know two things. One is, early on, science doesn't have all the answers, because sometimes mistakes are made because you don't have all the data. Yeah. And B, not enough people listening to science. Yeah. You know, we've reached a stage where... um, what we think is more important than the facts are often. And we can't. We need to return to, listen, the very basis of the Age of Enlightenment um, was the idea that uh, there is scientific knowledge that explains much of the world. We need to follow and understand that scientific knowledge. Uh, We need to buy into a common understanding of these things. And we've fallen very far from that, I'm afraid, not only in terms of COVID, but in many different areas. A friend of mine, a doctor, you know, went on a 25-mile bike ride yesterday. It was really fun. But one of the things he mentioned, he says, you know, Bob, the most important development in uh, healthcare in, in history is the toothbrush. <laughs> I found that to be <laughs> such an interesting observation on his part. Anyway, hey, we have so much more to talk about. I want to talk about what's happening in the rest of the glo- globe. Can you stick around? Absolutely, Bob. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the uh, Bob Harden Broadcasting uh, Network. 
Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and you can find out more by visiting thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. Right now, we continue the conversation with Mark Schulman. Thank you again for joining us, Mark. Always a pleasure. Thank you. So, uh, decision to withdraw from the Open Skies Agreement. This uh, happened just this week, and maybe you can give us some commentary and your thoughts about this. The Open Skies Agreement was an agreement signed that basically allowed American planes to fly over Russian airspace and Russian planes to fly over American airspace. Some people on the right said it gave them it gave an advantage to the Russians. Most people consider it just one part of the whole. Uh, arms agreements that exist between the United States and, and Russia, what was the Soviet Union, obviously, to lower the tension and make sure that neither side was, is violating the various arms agreements. I mean, this is unheard of in American history for a outgoing administration to do something like that during the interregnum period between, um, and on top of which they announced the fact that the planes that were being used for it um, a surplus and should be destroyed. That wants to make it almost impossible for the Biden administration to go back to the agreement. Um, and, you know, again, the the, the 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 Trump administration had four years to decide to, to to pull out of the agreement if that's what they wanted to do. To do it now is is, is not right. Let's put it that way. Well, so of, don't uh, I re- don't I recall that uh, that that Obama. Uh, Put fa- sanctions on Russia the last few days of his of his uh, administration. Wait, put sanctions on Russia in response to uh, the Russian interference in the elections, which everyone agrees we, that they they interfered in the elections. No one questions the fact they interfered. The issue is was a collision, collusion, all those things. We'll leave those all that aside. But everyone agrees the fact that they did interfere in the American election, in 2016. Yeah. So that that was an immediate response to an immediate action. The Open Skies uh, Treaty has been in effect for I don't know 40 years. Yeah, now I understand though that that the, the the issue with this administration is that the, Russia was violating uh, the Open Skies Agreement and was not allowing uh, flights over areas near uh, other. I think it's the I forget which states, but the the point being is that the, the Russians were paying attention, were cooperating anyhow. 
Um, I don't think that that really is the case. I don't know. But once mm-hmm. again, I, I listen. I'm, I'm, my, I'm not an expertise on the Open Sky Agreement. I am a, a fairly knowledgeable in terms of uh, in terms of periods of this in American history. And like I said, generally speaking, if you haven't done it during your three three years, nine months in, in office, you don't rush to do things like that in the last two months when it's something that has national security implications and. Mm. Um, it's not the way things are done. Like well, uh, what I know about this, you could put in a thimble, so I probably should move on to another topic. <laughs> topic. <laughs> let's, let's talk about troop withdrawals. Right. So it's the same, same story, really. Um, the um, Trump administration is trying to box in the Biden administration in terms of withdrawals. They announced withdrawals and it's this going to take place this year. Um, and there's a lot of pushback in the military, particularly since the moment they're still in the midst of negotiations with the Taliban. And of course, one of the key factors in negotiations is the removal of American troops. So what you're doing is taking one of your, um, you know, one of your cards off the table, so to speak. Um, and again, this is, you know, again, President Trump is trying to, you know, leave his legacy, which was withdrawing his troops from, from Iraq and from Afghanistan. Uh-huh. Um, you know, hobble an incoming administration in terms of what to do, and it also, you know, makes no sense in terms of where we are in terms of negotiations because. What Taliban want more than anything else is U.S. troops out of Afghanistan. So we've been there again, twenty years, Mark. I mean, my goodness, it's, it's always a tale of a thousand nights. There's always something. Yeah, there's always an issue, and I'm not. <laughs> don't get me wrong. We've had we've had discussion. I don't have any good answers relating to Afghanistan. But you just get again. It's a question of how you do things. Yeah. Well, this is not this is not it. You you know, especially if you're at the, the tail end and you're trying to negotiate as best a deal as you can at the very end. Uh, this just you know. Go ahead. The other side. Yeah. Okay. You don't have to agree to anything. All right. Let's let's move to uh, the meeting between Netanyahu and MBS. Apparently, Netanyahu got on a plane uh, uh, and uh, met with, I think, our Secretary of State, if I'm not mistaken. Secretary of State was there as well. Yes. MBS Saudi Arabia. Crown Prince of the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia. He's the one who um, is expected to take over when his father dies. Mm. Um, Is a a lot unknown. According to Saudi sources, they met for three hours talked about Iran and talked about normalization, didn't reach any agreements. I don't know. I mean, the big question is, is something else involved? Um, B-52 bombers have been moved to the Middle East at the moment. Um, are are B-52 concerns. bombers? Who's bo- B-52? What? Who's B- B-52 bombers? Only U.S. The U.S. Okay. U.S. is the only ones who have B-52 bombers. Okay. Uh, no one else has B-52s. Um, I, mean, I mean, it's an amazing, that's a whole other story to think about a B-52 the first flew in 1954 and is still active in the United States Air Force. Right. It says many different levels of things. That they, I think we're at the point where grandchildren of the first pilots are flying them. But yeah. That's, yeah. Uh, that's all of the story. But in any case, um, there is some concern that there might be some sort of last-minute attack on Iran. Um, again, in the closing days or month of the Trump administration, no one knows that. I had a, a long conversation with... Um, Defense correspondent for one of the TV networks here in Israel, and we were trying to figure out, you know, why MBS would agree to meet with Netanyahu right now, uh-huh. um, when and Pompeo, and we're not really sure. The question is what what's being offered on the table, and so a lot of unknown questions here. Um, we'll only find out over the next couple of days, weeks. At this point, we don't do not know. Yeah, no, no. There was a story. Uh, now that you mentioned this, there was a story last week about. Uh, uh, we, we were, somehow we were provoked by Iran, and we were uh, the president was considering building up forces 
in preparation for uh, some sort of skirmish with Iran. So I wonder if this feeds into right. this. He asked his, he asked his advisors for uh, what options he has to strike Iran now because they're violating the agreement. And, of course, the, the policy with Iran, with, which was sanctions and more sanctions and more sanctions, has obviously not worked because they are increasing their uranium output and violate, you know, they're violating the treaty that we pulled pulled, pulled out of. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that the story was that he asked us advisors for um, for options. The cover story, at least, that came out was that his advisors convinced him not to do anything. But do we know that for a fact? We have no idea. Yeah. Um, so again, it's it's one of those many many questions that again it would be unheard of for for a, a military strike again in the waning days of an administration and leaving the consequences to the next administration, but. And I don't think it's likely. Uh-huh. You know, again, in my discussions with people, it's been, okay, is it possible? Yes. Is it likely? No. But is it possible enough that we should be concerned about it? Yes. Interesting. So, you know, um, without having, without uh, eavesdropping on discussions in the Oval Office, I have absolutely no way of knowing. Absolutely. Mark Schulman, again, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com and always up to date on up-to-the-minute information about what's happening globally. Mark, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a great week, Bob. You as well. Thank you so much. All right, coming up, uh, we're going to visit with Larry Reed. Larry is the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Well, we talked about the 1619 Project. Uh, this is a discussion about the Bayflower Compact. We'll find out why that's important. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Luke Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining to choice are the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Coven Call Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Offshore Playhouse Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgrowing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, It's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000 square foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To 
find out more about Golf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It is brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. Visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg. He's author of uh, Follow the Leader and its, its sequel, Shake the Money Tree. Right now we have with us Larry Reed. He is the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Larry, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. Uh, tell our listeners about the uh, Foundation for Economic Education. Okay. They can learn a lot more about us at our website, fee.org, where they'll see daily commentaries uh, posted on current events, history, and politics, and various other issues. Our purpose is to educate and inspire young people in ideas of individual liberty, uh, free enterprise, private property, and personal character. And we do that through not only the online presence that attracts thousands of uh, young people every day, but also at the events that we hold around the country. Love to get, see those getting back in, in after this COVID-19 thing going on. But I will tell the listeners, if you have a young person in your life, uh, ages in high school or, or college, definitely introduce them to fee.org, F-E-E.org, because it can make a big difference in their life. I've talked to people who've gone to these events. It is just really a substantial impact and you know, creating good citizens in the United States. So, Larry, you wrote a great column, The Mayflower Compact, an idea American began in 1620, not in 1776, and I would add, and certainly not in 1619. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> you can sure. tell us about it. Okay. Well, as countries go, America is a rather young one, so we don't have occasion very often to celebrate a quadricentennial that is the 400th anniversary of something, but we certainly do this month. Uh, this month marks the 400th anniversary of the landing first at Provincetown on Cape Cod, and then a month later at Plymouth, their permanent home, of the Pilgrims. Uh, they came over on the Mayflower. About half of the 102 passengers were the Pilgrims that we know so well, and the other half were called by the Pilgrims strangers because uh, they were put on the ship by the sponsors of the voyage back in Britain uh, because they thought, well, they have certain skills that the new colony uh, will need. But that led to some differences on the boat, uh, especially as they reached their destination or approached it and discovered that the storms had blown them off course. Mm -hmm. And the strangers said, well, we're not going to land anywhere near uh, where the contract called for. And so that means we don't have to pay any attention to the contract. And uh, the pilgrims realized that the very survival of the colony was at stake. And so on the very day that they landed uh, at Provincetown, Cape Cod, November 11th, 1620, they uh, hammered out an agreement. Uh, and uh, everybody except a handful who were going back to England anyway signed it. And it was called the Mayflower Con. Con uh, compact, mm -hmm. and I think it's uh, really the uh, the quintessential uh, American document that really set the nation 
uh, or the future nation on its course uh, right from the very beginning. Yeah, and I, mean, I think it's so significant, too, because they, they actually set up terms of governance for, the, uh, for their organization for where they were landing there in Plymouth. And, and in other words, they were really separating themselves. It was really the first step of separation from, uh, from the mother country. Yeah, that's right. And this was, in fact, the very first experiment in consensual government in Western history that was between individuals uh, and other individuals, not between individuals and a monarch. Mm-hmm. If you think back, say, to the Magna Carta, a great document from 1215, that was an agreement between nobles and their king. Uh, but this was the Mayflower Compact was an agreement amongst people. Um, and uh, it basically said that, hey, once we land, we're going to form a government of consent. Everybody's going to be able to participate equally. No uh, discrimination on the basis of religion or other factors. And that really set the tone for what America became. It was a remarkable document for its day. And uh, America became a nation in time, in part inspired by the spirit of the Mayflower Compact. Absolutely. And you say, uh, I love this story because it's so quintessentially American, so sublimely pro-liberty. Maybe you could tell us about that. Yeah, I really, really love it uh, uh, for those reasons. Uh, Just think about it. Um, The pilgrims fled religious persecution at the hands of a government. Then they made a deal with investors, private capitalist investors, to finance a new settlement across the ocean. Half of the passengers on their ship didn't share their uh, views uh, on religion, uh, but together the pilgrims and those strangers put their differences aside. They signed a social contract, you might say, to establish a secular self-government. Then they made peace with the local tribes that lasted for half a century, and they succeeded and prospered when freedom of enterprise and personal initiative formed the uh, central bedrock of their new society. Remember, at first, they tried a kind of communal socialism, where they put what they produced into a common storehouse and then distributed it uh, equally. But uh, that was a path to starvation, because some people said, well, why should I work if I get just as much as everybody else? So Governor Bradford uh, quickly uh, dropped that arrangement. And so with that, uh, America in its earliest form said no to socialism and yes to private property and personal initiative. You know, uh, I actually read uh, William Bradford's uh, Plymouth Plantation. It's a tough read because it was written in Old English, and I, I just yeah. really appreciated uh, that. And, and that story in there, I think it was actually part of the agreement with their investors that they were going to form a commune like that, and, and everything goes to the public square. But needless to say, that fed into a lot of resentment because people, you know, the strong guys out there doing the work, and and uh, not everybody was pitching in. So, yeah, again, just I think it's our very first, ex- I think, experiment in, in socialism, and it was a total bust. Yeah, and I think those investors who at first uh, set that arrangement up were very happy themselves when it was later abandoned mm. because they, can't, they couldn't make any money if a colony starved. <laughs> That's exactly right. And well, you know, the other thing I had, uh, Peter went on the show last week and he talked about uh, his book 1620 and he pointed out the importance of this compact. But, uh, you know, in juxtaposition to the 1619 project that's being promoted right now in public schools, what a disaster of rewriting history. I'm so grateful that we're talking about this, this experience. 
Yeah, this is really what defines America, not uh, uh, the uh, introduction of slavery in 1619. But, you know, some people have agendas, and if it's to smear America or accomplish some other policy objective today, some people have so little conscience that they'll cook stuff up and exaggerate and uh, ignore the context and ignore the uh, other much more salutary events taking place and pick on the bad ones. Yeah, no, I, I just want to remind our listeners that we need to, need to be, pay attention to what's happening in our public school systems because literally uh, white fragility, the 1619 Project, all this stuff is being fed into our public schools right now. And some schools are actually implementing the 1619 Project was written with a syllabus or with a curriculum in order to for to install it in public schools. So at, at all age, at, by the way, at all grade levels as well. So uh, I'm really happy that you brought this to our attention. Hey, thank you. The 1619 Project is a historical uh, tragedy. It's uh, uh, hooked up to meet a current political agenda and really trashes uh, American history, which is sad and uncalled for. Absolutely. Again, uh, Larry Reed, President emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Again, the website is fee.org, fee.org. Larry, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Yep, thank you, Bob. My pleasure indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with uh, Jim McTagg. Jim is a former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. He had his White House press pass back in the day. He retired a couple of years ago, and he's written a couple of novels since. Uh, follow the leader and a sequel, Shake the Money Tree. Great murder mysteries. I think he just did a great job on that. We're going to do that and more right here in the uh, Bob Harden show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you or a family member suffer from chronic pain in your knees, hips, or shoulders? Joint pain can be a nagging and serious problem requiring expert and compassionate care. I know I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. Until 2006, I was suffering debilitating pain and deformity in my knees. I couldn't enjoy biking or golf or even sleep without chronic pain as pain is a constant companion. Thanks to Dr. George Markovich and the professional staff at the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, my pain is gone, and I'm back to doing the activities I enjoy with no pain. I have a lifestyle I could only imagine prior to knee surgery and you can too call the institute for orthopedic surgery and sports medicine they will thoroughly evaluate your condition provide personalized state-of-the-art treatment and help you relieve your pain and get back to your active lifestyle at the institute for orthopedic surgery and sports medicine your care will be professionally managed through every phase of your recovery for an initial consultation call the institute for orthopedic surgery and sports medicine located off tamiami trail in benita springs at 482-5399 that's 482-5399 you listen to the bob harden show so why not market your company to our loyal listeners ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience each advertising package includes a banner on bobharden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge join Lulabee's diner johnson's air conditioning blue provence and many others who advertise on the show call me at 598-3889 that's 598-3889 or send an email to bobharden at hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget you'll be you'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value several advertisers have been with me for years find out why by calling 598-389 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com you'll be glad you did 
back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. A little shout out to Lulu B's Diner. I think they do a great job for breakfast or lunch. And now offer Uber Eats so you can get takeout from Lula B's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center. They do a great job, and big supporters of St. Matthew's House as well. We have with us, as I mentioned before the break, Jim McTagg. He is former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of a couple of great murder mysteries, great reads. Uh, the first is uh, Follow the Leader, and the second is Shake the Money Tree. Jim, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, it's nice to be here, uh, Bob. Uh, as I mentioned uh, earlier, we have uh, terrific weather this time of year. Uh, you know, I think going forward, I would rethink taking my vacation in the summer and waiting until uh, November, December. Yeah, you know, I, I grew up in Washington, D.C. area in Bethesda. I always enjoyed November, October, November, just wonderful months in that area. <laughs> of course, it gets cold and uh, then it snows and then it uh, freezes and unfreezes and it becomes ice and it can be pretty oh, treacherous. please don't tell me that. Don't tell me that. I don't want to hear that. But as... Speaking of things we don't want to hear, uh-huh. I know I know you're a supporter of the president. Yeah, um, I voted uh, for Biden, but I consider myself a uh, political conservative. Yeah, uh, I have no love for Biden, but I, I think the president's uh, lawsuits are totally uh, bogus. They're hail mary passes. Uh, you know, they'll f- totally they'll fall apart this week and make it clear to maybe even the president that Biden. Uh, is a winner. And um, I ask people who support the president, and I have friends like you, and I have family who support the president. And I think uh, Trump did some really good things, but uh, I didn't like him overall. Um, so so my point being, I don't have a visceral dislike of uh, Trump. I don't have a, a visceral dislike of his supporters. I love his supporters. Uh, but <laughs> mm. first of all, how could a political party, the Democrats, who picked possibly the weakest, most stumbled-tongued candidate in U.S. history, right. pull off a, a highly sophisticated campaign voter scam across multiple states? It, it, it just defies logic, number one. Well, number you know, two, uh, yeah, go ahead. Let, let me. Let, okay, I, I predicted on your show that, that I thought Trump was going to take Pennsylvania, uh-huh. and my canary in the coal mine uh, was the, uh, the voting district around Wilkesboro, Pennsylvania, yeah. which had been Bill Clinton country, but it went heavily for, for Trump. They loved him. Uh, and this time it went uh, for Biden by, by over 10,000 votes. Uh, that tells me that uh, he lost a lot of support in Pennsylvania. You, you know, the f- area around Philadelphia is always a Democrat. Yeah. But the fact that he lost uh, that county t- t- tells me uh, he lost Pennsylvania fair and, and square. And, and, num- and number three, he can't, even if he wins one state, he's only saving face. He can't get enough electoral votes to win this election. So, okay, so let me, let me respond. I think uh, I certainly understand what you're saying, and certainly in terms of the tradition of elections, people who are behind or who lose always have some bad feelings about that and feel like cheating took place. In, in this case, uh, this is so different because there is systemic fraud going on, according to Sidney Powell, who I think is very credible. She says she has evidence that, in fact, uh, that uh, once the uh, voting stopped, 
the algorithms that were in place in order to give Trump the vic- or Biden the victory were not sufficient in order to give him enough votes to have the overpowering support for President Trump. Therefore, they stopped the vote. They put in a new algorithm or, or put in, uh, somehow went in the back door and, and uh, through the Internet fixed the machine so, the machine so that they would, uh, in fact, give Biden the victory. That's her story. I look forward to having this played out in court. Now, maybe, you know, the uh, judges, and I think it'll probably be the Supreme Court, will say, you know, this is bogus and there's nothing to it. That could happen. I mean, I understand that. But I think she's got a very compelling case. And I'll add this, you know, she's separated from the, uh, she said she's not part of the Trump team, that she's uh, really operating on her own as a citizen with this information. That to me was very interesting. And what I've come to believe, and I don't know this, but I've concluded is that apparently there's a Republicans as well as Democrats in her sight that could have, and uh, as a result of what she presents, could end up uh, facing criminal charges. So uh, she's separating herself for the political uh, issue with with Trump. Um, yeah, I, okay, okay. Let's let it play out in court. But you know, the pattern we've seen so far is that you know the lawyers in the court of public opinion make these claims that uh, are, um, you know, uh, well, they're in, in scope. The, the claims are, are just like, um, uh, as I said, uh, would would be the largest uh, campaign fraud in world history. Right, and it is. Get, it is. But when they get into the courtroom, uh, suddenly the, the uh, they're not uh, so vocal. Uh, their charges are not uh, as uh, sharp. And uh, not, uh, they don't have a preponderance of, of evidence to prove it. They're just uh, basing their lawsuits on supposition. Well, so it's uh, we'll see how so this plays out. I mean, I, I get your I get your point. And my biggest concern about all this, assuming now that Sidney Powell has the goods and can prove her case, it's so it's so so uh, it's so <laughs> large. It's so unbelievable that I wonder if perhaps even with evidence right in front of us. Who are you going to believe? Your lion eyes? I mean, it 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 is a difficult difficult case to wrap your mind around and say that could this have really happened? Well, look, I wrote a book about computer trading trading on on Wall Street, and uh, algorithms uh, were employed to cheat the average investor. Right. And uh, there were two traders in in uh, New Jersey, uh, uh, Sal Arnook and Joe Saluzzi, who who told the SEC about this for two or three years and the SEC dismissed them as total cranks. Yeah. So so I'm not going to dismiss what you're saying as crankery, but uh, let's see her prove it. Yeah, well, who's you the know, big swindler uh, that ended up going to jail? I've forgotten his name now, but uh, Bernie uh, Madoff. I mean, uh, they, uh, so, as I understand it, the, 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 uh, the uh, SEC or the uh, uh, NASD, I think it was the SEC, received information that the, he, he was a fraudulent investor that the, there was no there was absolutely no credibility to what he was doing years before he ended up getting charged so uh some stuff is just so unbelievable you just you know you set it aside yeah i have uh, uh no opposition to 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 seeing if the system works mm-hmm. but just to, to uh trump up charges in a in a in a last ditch effort to hang on to uh power illegitimately is is just uh, so awful, and so so if Sidney Powell, what happens? Where do you go 
where do Trump followers go if Sidney Powell goes to court and there's nothing in her in her bag? Well, you know, then if in fact uh, he they they get their day in court and uh, we get the uh, injustice prevails. In fact, if they if she, if they can prove that no, there was a there was no uh, fraud going on here. This is all imaginary or whatever. I mean, if that happens, I accept the results. But it's just unbelievable to me that Biden's staying in his basement. He actually said at one point that, look, we have the greatest uh, 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 voter fraud program ever developed. <laughs> he actually said that in a moment of clarity. Uh, I, I just, uh, this, this whole thing is just so fraudulent that there's no way that he got 10, more, uh, 10 million, or what is it, three, 4 million more votes than uh, President Donald Trump. Okay, well, I, again, you know, this is a point of disagreement for us, but yeah, but, but if he if if Sidney Powell loses in court and you and you judge that uh, yes, she really didn't have the powder that she claimed she had, yeah, where do you go in the future? Well, you, mean, you end up just you have to accept the results. I mean, the the, the last opportunity that the President Trump is to have, he's basically saying, "I won the election," and I when we've got proof. I back him on that. I realize in the court of public opinion, it's beginning to wane a little bit. And, of course, the mainstream media is definitely saying Trump is out of his mind and what's he doing. I, you know, I dismiss all that because the mainstream media has been doing that for the last four years. So uh, we'll see how this plays out. But, you know, I've got one $10 bet with uh, one of our guests that uh, Trump will win. I, I'm willing to do that with you. Ah, okay. Um, <laughs> if if you don't if you donate it to charity, okay, done. Because <laughs> I know you and your wife Linda are uh, big in the charity. You're uh, yeah, two of the most civic minded people I know. Well, thank you so, for that. Uh, I, I'll gladly take that bet. Okay, and 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 likewise, you'll do the same if uh, <laughs> if, <laughs> if I lose, Jim. You know what? I, I just genuinely appreciate uh, your commentary here in the show, and I just want to remind our listeners about your books. Because they're great reads. They make great, great Christmas presents. Get both of them. It's Father Leader and its sequel, Shake the Money Tree. I, I really appreciate it because I grew up in Washington, D.C., and a lot of the things that happen there are so familiar to me. So, uh, again, Jim, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Obviously, uh, my, list, my uh, guests don't always agree with me. But, uh, you know, I think this is going to be a very interesting week uh, with regard to what happens in court. I uh, hope you join us tomorrow. We're going to visit with Kathleen Pasadomo, our state senator. Boo Mortensen will be joining us. Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government and the author of Greetings from Paradise. My wife, Linda, will be with us as well. By the way, if you have any comments about the show, send me an email. I really appreciate receiving uh, the emails that I've been receiving. Harden at Hotmail.com. I can also put you on the newsletter uh, list as well. Harden at Hotmail.com. Uh, com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.